Welcome to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. This week's Grand Rounds comes to us from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, and is titled, Sodium Reduction, Time for Choice. Good afternoon, everybody. Let's begin, and welcome to the CDC Public Health Grand Rounds. And today, we are talking about salt, or as our speakers are going to educate it, sodium in particular. This time, one of the things that I wanted to say, we have had some really cool and really lovely people on the past 18 sessions, but this is probably the best-looking and on average youngest bunch of people. And (laughs) even my assistant who worked over the phone with me and talked to all of them, when they showed up in person, she came and said, oh my God, they're so good looking. And I said, hey, what can I say? Some of them are our own CDC people. Some of them come from FDA and then some from New York City. I know that we may be abusing New York City a little bit. And I have no idea why we may have this specific affiliation with that city. But, you know, we do. So, as always, before our speakers begin, we will have brief comments by our director, who is not here with us today, but has taped his comments. Welcome to Public Health Grand Rounds. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in the United States. Nearly 70 million U.S. adults, including more than two-thirds of people over age 65, have high blood pressure, the leading risk factor for cardiovascular disease. In 2010 alone, we spent about $70 billion in direct medical costs on hypertension and the diseases it causes. Despite this, our system fails to help more than half of people with hypertension to control it. It's estimated that excess sodium consumption accounts for up to a third of all cases of hypertension, and almost everyone in the United States consumes too much salt. Sodium reduction is a top priority to prevent heart disease and stroke both in this country and around the world. In the United States, only about a tenth of the sodium we consume is added in the kitchen or at the table, with most sodium coming from processed and restaurant foods, taking the choice of how much sodium to consume literally out of the hands of individuals. Setting targets to reduce sodium in specific processed foods can result in substantial reductions in sodium intake on the population level. Reducing sodium intake to recommended levels could save more than 100,000 lives and billions of dollars in medical costs. This session of Public Health Ground Rounds will explore the health burden of excess sodium and strategies to reduce sodium intake. Reducing sodium intake will require involvement of the food industry, policy interventions, and rigorous monitoring. If, working together, government and industry can achieve substantial reductions in sodium intake, we will truly have shown that we're worth our salt. Good afternoon, and thank you, uh, Dr. Popovich and uh, Dr. Frieden. I'm Darwin Labarth. I will explain this afternoon why excess sodium is a significant health problem, the cause and effect relationship of sodium intake and blood pressure, the benefit of reducing sodium in the food supply and restoring choice, and some of the myths and misconceptions about sodium. Sodium chloride is the chemical name for dietary salt. It contains 40% sodium and 60% chloride. Nearly all of the sodium Americans consume is in salt from our food. The vast majority is already in our prepared, processed, and restaurant foods. The word salt, and 
sodium are often used interchangeably, but they are not the same. The one to watch is sodium on the nutrition facts label of packaged foods. Excess sodium causes hypertension. Nearly one in three U.S. adults, 68 million people, have hypertension. Of those who reach middle age, nine in 10 will develop it by the time they reach older age. More than one in two people with hypertension, 34 million American adults, do not have it under control. With the further addition of people with prehypertension, those with blood pressure elevated above normal but not enough for medical intervention, reducing sodium intake can have a major public health impact. Sodium through hypertension is a major contributor to death, disability, disparities, and costs attributable to cardiovascular diseases or CVDs. CVDs are leading causes of death, killing some 800,000 adults every year. CVDs are also leading causes of health disparities by race and ethnicity. Treatment of CVDs accounts for one in every six U.S. health dollars spent, or about $273 billion every year. In 23 developing countries, more than 8 million deaths could be averted over 10 years if average sodium intake were reduced by just 15%. The body only requires about 230 milligrams of sodium per day. A healthy diet contains no more than 1,500 milligrams sodium per day at any age. In fact, only 1,000 milligrams per day for children. That's the adequate intake, or AI. The 2010 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommend 1,500 milligrams per day for people age 51 and older, African Americans, and those who have high blood pressure, diabetes, or chronic kidney disease. That is virtually half the U.S. population and the majority of adults 18 years and older. All others should reduce sodium intake to less than 2,300 milligrams per day. But the current sodium intake of U.S. adults is more than 3,400 milligrams per day. There is a solution. Solid scientific evidence shows a direct causal relationship between sodium intake and blood pressure levels. When people reduce their sodium intake, their blood pressure decreases, and almost everyone benefits from lowering their blood pressure. For example, in middle-aged men, decreasing population systolic blood pressure by just 5 millimeters mercury can lead to a 1 in 7 reduction in stroke deaths and 1 in 11 reduction in coronary heart disease deaths. Reducing sodium intake is a key public health strategy to prevent and control high blood pressure. Decreasing average population intake to 1,500 milligrams per day could result in 16 million fewer cases of high blood pressure and an estimated saving of $26 billion every year. Even if average intake were only reduced to 2,300 milligrams per day, we could still expect to see a decrease of 11 million cases of high blood pressure and a cost savings of $18 billion in health care expenditures again every year. Nearly 80% of the sodium in our food is already there and mostly invisible. It comes from foods we buy in stores and restaurants. Only 12% is naturally occurring in fruits and vegetables and whole grains. And about 11% is added in cooking and at the table. More recent unpublished data support this same estimate. So it is not just the salt shaker. Given our current food supply, 
It's extremely difficult for people to reduce their sodium intake. Finding low-sodium or no-sodium-added options in the grocery store can be difficult. Identifying low-sodium restaurant fare can be an even greater challenge. And once sodium has been added to your food, you can't take it out. Let me dispel some of the myths and misconceptions that have contributed to delays in reducing sodium intake. First, there's not enough evidence to act. A very large body of strong scientific evidence shows that increasing sodium intake increases blood pressure and reducing sodium intake reduces blood pressure. And moreover, current sodium intake far exceeds safe and healthy levels. Second, population sodium reduction is a risky experiment. The experiment with sodium has been its increase in our food supply, coinciding with our increased reliance on foods prepared for us rather than by us, either packaged for retail purchase or in restaurants. Reducing sodium intake has been shown to be safe and effective. Third, sodium reduction is only important for people with high blood pressure. On the contrary, the recommended levels of sodium intake are important for everyone. Lower sodium intake helps prevent high blood pressure in the first place and helps control high blood pressure when it is high. Both hypertension and prehypertension can be prevented by reducing sodium intake. The risk of having a heart attack or stroke goes down when blood pressure decreases. This reduction in risk continues even below the range of what is considered normal blood pressure. There is no basis to recommend sodium consumption that exceeds the adequate intake level. Fourth, there's no justification for government action. Quite the opposite. There is need and justification for government action. Voluntary action by the food industry has been inadequate despite 40 years of calls to action. Consumers deserve more choices and more control of the sodium levels in the foods they eat. Government can promote or require changes in sodium content of foods through food procurement policies, public information, industry regulation, and other strategies, all coupled with monitoring and surveillance. One example is the General Services Administration, Department of Health and Human Services, Health and Sustainability Guidelines for Federal Concessions and Vending Operations, released last month, which set standards for foods contracted through GSA and served at HHS facilities, including CDC. And government must share its role with industry, policymakers, media, and the public at large. Finally, food will lose its taste. In reality, excess salt masks other flavors, so we lose the real flavor of foods. The appeal of salty tastes comes from becoming accustomed to unhealthy, unsafe salt intake. It's easily reversed especially with gradual changes. With less sodium in our food, we can appreciate again the wide variety of natural flavors. So taste the tomato. Excess sodium intake is taking a toll on the health of the population. Most of us exceed our recommended daily levels of sodium intake. Once salt is added to your foods, you can't take it out. Changes in food processing and preparation can bring choice and control back to the consumer. We believe government has a clear role to improve the food supply by working with diverse partners to increase access to healthier food options. Our subsequent speakers will address some of these issues in more detail. 
Dr. Fasano will focus on food technology issues related to sodium in our foods. Dr. Cogswell will talk about monitoring sodium levels in both the food supply and the population. And Ms. Johnson will discuss the National Salt Reduction Initiative and other efforts to support sodium reduction at the state and local level. Dr. Fasano. I'm Jeremiah Fasano. I'm pleased to be here to participate in this event. Dr. LeBarth has already mentioned the uh, serious public health concerns that are associated with excess sodium intake. FDA fully supports these concerns. Today, I'm going to provide a little bit of technological context for the widespread use of salt in food and what substances can potentially be used to replace salt. I'll also speak a bit about past and current activities at FDA relating to the use of sodium in food and efforts to reduce sodium intake, as well as the recommendations of the Institute of Medicine regarding sodium reduction. There are three primary reasons that sodium chloride, or salt, is used in food. The first, for flavor. The second, for safety. Microorganisms generally don't grow well in salty conditions. And third, for food processing. Salt can change the properties of other food components in ways that are useful to food manufacturers. Salt's unusual in that it often serves more than one function in the food at the same time. Now I'll talk about these factors in more detail. Salt's one of the five primary tastes, sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. The sodium ion is the substance that's actually responsible for the perception of saltiness. The recent research suggests that our perception of salt taste depends on a dedicated taste cell that responds only to the sodium ion. There appears to be a second cell type uh, that's activated at higher concentrations by a number of similar ions, such as potassium and calcium. This point will become uh, relevant later when we discuss salt substitutes. Salt taste also alters our perception of other tastes. Most notably, salt taste can mask bitterness in a food and can also enhance the apparent sweetness of the food. Salt's the oldest food preservative. The primary reason it's so effective is that it keeps water in the food locked up so that it's not available for microorganisms. Without sufficient water, most microorganisms can't grow well. If the salt concentration is high enough, it can actually kill microorganisms outright through hyperosmotic shock. The salt can also interfere with the activity of enzymes that microorganisms use to break down the foods they're growing on. And finally, it's, it's worth noting that sodium is a component of many other commonly used preservatives such as trisodium phosphate and sodium lactate. Salt also aids in the processing of foods in a number of ways. For example, it can tenderize protein-rich foods such as meat by causing proteins to separate from one another. Paradoxically, it can also cause proteins to lose their native conformation and stick together, which helps some foods hold their shape. Salt concentrations can regulate the growth and activity of bacteria and enzymes used in food manufacture. For example, cheesemaking includes a ripening step that imparts flavor and character to the finished product. It's caused by bacteria and enzymes present in the food. Salt's a key control point in this step. Finally, salt's helpful for retaining moisture and altering texture in a food. Let me illustrate these roles I've just discussed with a few examples. In bread, the most important effects involve strengthening of the gluten net that allows rising and influences texture. And salt also affects the activity of yeast in yeast breads. Cheesemaking involves the activity of both isolated enzymes and often entire microbes, both of which are influenced by salt, as I've already alluded to. Changes in milk protein properties are also important. Salt's an essential regulator of cheese structure and ripening and draws the moisture out of the curd. In meats, salt's a long-standing preservative. In addition, ground meat products such as sausages tend to disintegrate when the salt concentration is too low because of the effects of salt on protein aggregation. Finally, flavored snacks often use salt as a vehicle for other added flavorings. 
Replacements are available for various salt functions, although in general, no one substance can completely replace salt. Here's some ingredients that have been used as sodium substitutes. Other salts can be used as direct replacements for some of the sodium chloride added to a food. Most commonly used replacement today is potassium chloride. Calcium and magnesium chlorides are also used. They all tend to have a bitter taste in excess and are often mixed with sodium for this reason. Reduced sodium sea salts are also used for this purpose. On a historical note, lithium chloride is actually the salt most similar to, to sodium chloride and unlike others can fully activate the sodium taste cell. Unfortunately, it turned out to be toxic and its use was abandoned after about 1940. In some cases, other substances can amplify existing flavors or substitute a similar overall taste. However, it can be difficult to maintain a similar food flavor profile. Finally, antimicrobial functions of salt can be taken over by a variety of ingredients such as lactate salts, bacteriophages. However, the need to maintain food safety means you have to do extensive validation for every use scenario. A variety of new technologies are being developed that may be useful for sodium replacement. For example, some firms are developing microcapsules of potassium chloride that contain a debittering agent. Another product that's beginning to enter commerce is a hollow microsphere of sodium that imparts a similar taste experience at lower absolute salt concentration. Finally, some firms are experimenting with ingredients that directly manipulate the properties of the ion channels in the taste receptor cells to amplify, for example, the sensory signal of a given absolute amount of sodium chloride. However, the cost impact of both currently available substitutes and new technologies remains an issue. For some novel substitutes, availability of appropriate safety data may also be an issue. FDA has engaged in various efforts over the past few decades aimed at promoting awareness of sodium content and encouraging reduced sodium intake. These efforts include sodium content labeling on packaging as early as 1984 and promulgation of standards for sodium content claims. FDA also arranged a public hearing in 2007 to solicit information on ways to reduce sodium intake. Finally, recent work on front-to-pack labeling and the upcoming mandatory menu labeling mandated by the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act may also increase consumer awareness of sodium intake. Thank you. Our next speaker, Dr. Mary Coxwell. We'll return for more from this session of Grand Rounds Nation after a short break. <laughs> 